So Dave, this is a little awkward. This is uh, this. Is, I feel like I had a dream like this, where you have to like yeah. do your work with like fifty people watching without pants. Without pants, yeah. a little awkward. Yeah, a little awkward. No, and that's so. I was thinking it's like okay, so we're lined up to record the the next episode, well, episode one hundred with uh, Jim Whitehurst on Thursday. Um, thinking that that's going to be a high stakes, very ten- intense sort of thing. You know, so let's let's just ease into it by by uh, doing an episode uh, with Paul Smith in front of a hundred of our closest friends, live, <laughs> live. Yeah. Right. So the, so so for regular listeners, this is a uh, Dave. I don't think we've done this before. Where uh, this is this is an episode that we're actually recording live to tape. Yes. Exciting. Yes. Yep. It's like yeah. we just cracked the technology. Yeah. So let's let's just dive right into it. And so on the line, we we do have Paul Smith. So ha- say hi, Paul. Hi, Paul. There you go. <laughs> nice, nice. So it, it's so Paul. It's been a while. You were on episode five, right? That was a long time ago. Well, not to count, but it has been since 2013. So I'm sure you've had so many other great guests since then. It's just been a while to get me back on the docket. So thanks for the invite. <laughs> great to be back. Yeah, and thanks so, for making me your guinea pig for the uh, recorded live version of this. <laughs> yeah, no, this is great. This is great. It's like go big or go home, I guess. So, yeah, yeah. So one of the things that we're going to be talking with Jim about uh, for episode 100 was was the book. And I know that the, the book has been uh, like I enjoyed it. A lot of us have enjoyed it. And so but for a lot of the things, it's like I would love to. one of the things I want to do is pick your brain, Paul, about what you know, the lessons that you learned about it and how we could apply it to public sector. Um, so what, what are some of the things like top level that, that you saw that were interesting? Well, first of all, I think Jim does a really nice job of just capturing the, uh, the essence of uh, Red Hat. Uh, culturally, I think I was listening to episode five last night just to make sure I didn't repeat myself. But uh, I was talking back in 2013 about, you know, um, titles and positional leadership versus uh, meritocracy. And uh, that's pretty much the essence of the entire book uh, when Jim talks about the open organization and how do you how do you adopt to, uh, an industry in a world that's changing very, very quickly and the old models aren't working. So that's not something I invented. It's something that uh, I took on as Jim took on when he joined the company some seven or eight years ago. So the, I think the, the open organization book does a really good job of just kind of coalescing all of those ideas into something that's consumable by not only Red Hatters, but by a mass market. As a matter of fact, I think it's been uh, very well received by a lot of our customers and partners. It's one of the first things I do when I give away uh, after a conversation when folks are talking about lean or they're talking about agile or they're talking about uh, you know uh, designing modern organizations. So it's been very well received in that regard. And I think it's a big feather in the cap uh, for both uh, Jim and Red Hat and all of us here in terms of uh, some major changes we brought to not only how software is developed, we've done a very good job of that for the last 22 years, but also how organizations are run in a way that uh, really supports uh, uh, engagement uh, amongst uh, a, a large constituency. And that constituency is not just inside a Red Hat. It uh, very much involves uh, all of our partners like Cisco and Dell and our top customers uh, throughout all the federal government and uh, globally for that matter. 
So one one of the things. So how about with like one of the things, Paul, that that came out was that uh, the culture shock that Jim had whenever he came to the company, as you know, as far as the the top down command and control coming from Delta and all that. Did you have similar things coming uh, from uh, you know from uh, coming to Red Hat and with the cultural changes? Yeah, I think most of us have uh, experienced that. Uh, I came from a, a lot of other large organizations that uh, was very much. I think the first company I was telling an interesting story about uh, my days at Unisys, and I won't say when. It was sometime in the late '80s. Um, I was in high school. I was an intern at the time. <laughs> but um, talk about positional leadership, and this is kind of how we were brought up. Um, your position in the company was very much uh, conspicuous by the office space that you had. As a matter of fact, my first sales management job, I graduated from an office that had uh, 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 like 15 tiles to an office that had 20 tiles. And tiles are the way the real estate companies actually count uh, 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 cubic foot of space mm -hmm. usage because they're usually two by twos. Well, the vice president at the time had this beautiful office um, that was the size of my living room now. Um, with a couch. The tabletop was pure glass. There was no file cabinets. There was a bathroom in the corner. Uh, and it was just absolutely gorgeous. And uh, when you walked into that office, you knew you were walking into, you know, uh, some, you know, some place of power. And mm -hmm. you almost felt like you needed a genuflect coming in and out of the office. <laughs> and I think today, as, as uh, you know, and, and, you know, so those are the type of organizations that we grew up in, which is kind of a top down type of organization. And I think Jim kind of experienced the same thing from his background, classically uh, trained at Harvard Business School, the Boston Consulting Group, Delta Airlines, so the mother of all uh, hierarchies. And then coming in here uh, to Red Hat where, um, you know, we had memo list. And I think Mickelson talked about that a lot uh, culturally in, in, his, um, in, in his, his episode. But basically coming into an organization where everyone has a voice mm -hmm. and uh, everyone's uh, – Opinion really does have uh, merit, and it gets vetted out uh, whether the some of those opinions are good or some of them are not. So, yeah, there was a cultural uh, change uh, that I experienced uh, much the same way that Jim did. And I think if, um, as a matter of fact, I was talking to Jim at our sales kickoff meeting when he was doing some book signings, and he turned me on to uh, Stanley McChrystal's uh, book, uh, Team of Teams. Mm -hmm. And so for most of you, uh, at least in our organization, you'll know that uh, General McChrystal was a four star who was uh, his last assignment was the commander of uh, the American coalition forces in Afghanistan. And he was uh, fighting, uh, you know, a, a, a brand new type of enemy that was very agile, that made use of modern technology that operated in small cells, small groups that did things fast. So he basically talks about how he had to transform, you know, the oldest of all hierarchies with the exception of maybe the Catholic Church, um, uh, moving from a command and control type of environment to creating a team of teams that could actually iterate fast, come up with some ideas and move it out, uh, move it out to the field uh, for fast execution. Otherwise, they were, they were not going to do well in a lot of the campaigns they were running in Iraq. So it was really kind of cool, as Jim pointed out to me, that the Crystal's book, Team of Teams, kind of came out very shortly after the open organization. And one, of course, deals with management uh, leadership philosophies. The other one deals with how to conduct, uh, you know, warfare uh, mm -hmm. in in the modern world. So we've all gone through these uh, these transformations. And I think one of the lessons is is that uh, change or die. So if you're not adopting these types of uh, organizational leadership skills uh, or or not tuned into them, um, you'll be, you know, part of the uh, 
the mode one guys that'll never make it to mode two ever. Yeah. And so, Paul, I, you're not Paul. You're not the first to draw an equivalence between a terrorist insurgents and Red Hat employees. Um, I wonder <laughs> if the I wonder I wonder if you'd be able to to tell us a little bit about like what did what did you find? Because you are also kind of classically, you know, like you were saying, you know, your old boss is in this great big office. You're very accustomed to kind of positional leadership and hierarchy. Um, as a leader and as a manager of people, what uh, was there anything in particular that was challenging for you about the kind of much flatter? memo list culture that Jim describes in the book um, was like, maybe you've got a story about uh, 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 about your adjustment to this new mode of working. Well, I, th I think that the, maybe I'll get a story out of this at some point, but I think the big thing is with uh, uh, meritocracy and uh, you know, an op open organization is uh, for anyone in any type of leadership position that happens to have uh, some positional title like mine uh, might have is you have to park your ego at the door. Um, you have to let things kind of iterate. Uh, and, um, you know, we've done that a number of times in our groups, uh, you know, even as, as, as recently as this year, we've kind of rejiggered the organization because of a, a grassroots type of uh, movement from the ground up. I think Joel Jackson was one of our leaders in this regard. When we looked at how are we actually organized around um, going after our emerging uh, infrastructure, our, our emerging products. So for us, anything Anything non-REL, non-Red Hat Enterprise Linux, non-platform, so to speak, is part of our emerging group, which is anything from our application development environment to our cloud offerings for both infrastructure and platform as a service. And we had these all set up as these little mini fiefdoms um, because organizationally, uh, we kind of decided we'd, we'd have to have some experts in each of those areas, folks that really knew containers, folks that really knew app dev, folks that really knew uh, storage and, and, uh, and, uh, and how to, you know, uh, do some cloud management, uh, uh, type of functionality around, uh, uh, virtual virtualized environments. And what we found was, is that the industry was really converging a lot faster. Now, so while we're sitting up in the ivory tower saying, hey, this organization, this org chart looks really great, mm -hmm. uh, functionally, it wasn't working. And uh, we changed it very quickly. I mean, within a matter of weeks from uh, taking a look at uh, how some uh, acquisitions were going on and how, how partners were behaving and, and made that change. And that wasn't something we went and uh, had a... Um, a large, uh, you know, conversation. We did a manager offsite, and we we sought approval at the at the higher levels, and ran it all the way up to uh, to corporate for budgeting and uh, and things of that sort. It's something we just uh, iterated and uh, moved on very quickly here in our government uh, uh, sales operations. Yeah, and I and that that maps back to the book too, where um, they uh, Jim talks about selling half baked ideas without the specifics and um, delaying. The decision process for as long as possible because that allows you to do the, the the adoption a lot more quickly. And I know, like in this particular case, Paul, we were um, we we did a very similar thing where it's like in, like you said, instead of having like a top down edict of this is the way it's going to be, and you lay the org chart on the table, um, you know, we we had a a lot of people thinking about the decision process and 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 as far as how we roll that out. Yeah. So what, what do you see as some other examples of the open organization and, and public sector, Paul? When we were talking about a lot of our go-to-market strategies, um, we, we, had to, uh, we had to come up with a way to, to organize all the, all, the things that, uh, all, the, all the things in our portfolio. And I, uh, I think if you take a look at our, our public sector playbook and you take a look at uh, things like our, um, our house, uh, 
that was something that was iterated over over time too. We kind of set up some goals uh, at a high level, and then we put it out to the field to say, you know, what is it that we need to accomplish? You know, we're talking about uh, as a company that's trying to stay relevant. So what should our growth be year on year? And not growth for the sake of trying to be a bigger company, but growth for the sake of being relevant with our customers in all these different marketplaces. And, and we should uh, say for uh, we should say for folks outside of Red Hat too that the the house that Paul's re- referring to is not metaphorically a house. It is uh, it's this uh, kind of standard slide that we use to describe all the goals, the initiatives, uh, our strategy, kind of everything that we're doing, and uh, hopefully everything inside the organization uh, kind of serves one of the uh, serves one of the elements described in this house slide, right? Yeah, and it's kind of it's, it's kind of a simple concept too, because the goals are basically three large, uh, three high level goals, uh, talking about uh, how we were how we were looking at our, our growth in terms of uh, our uh, influence with our customers, and also to be a top enterprise provider in our markets, mm-hmm. and also about um, employee satisfaction. But the one, the the top enterprise provider in our markets is is kind of a cool thing too, because it's another cultural uh, concept. That, um, you know, if you listen to Paul Cormier, he'll often say, you know, we're not an open source uh, enterprise software company. We're an enterprise software company that happens to use open source uh, as a development model. That's a really uh, cool distinction um, uh, because open source for the sake of open source uh, is, 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 is not enough to, d- uh, to deliver value. But we found over time that, uh, you know, working in communities of our partners and our customers and folks that actually like to contribute to certain areas, that things actually happen faster. So we deliver a lot of value because uh, uh, the model that we use for enterprise uh, software development uh, happens to be around open source. So from there, we built out strategies around uh, what we do with the developer community, uh, what we do in, in, in the cloud and, and so forth. And also in-house uh, about Anything to do with uh, associate or employees' uh, satisfaction really has to do with folks being very active and engaged and uh, feeling that they're uh, participatory in feedback loops and uh, they've got uh, great individual development plans and you know training in place such that uh, they can move forward. And we've kind of you know kind of set that all up uh, around some concepts of having folks. Then this is the open sourcey piece of this. We actually developed three pillars around, uh, you know, development, organization, and communication. So each of those key areas has uh, a pretty much a, a leader, you know, a community mm-hmm. leader, so to speak, that actually helps folks with, uh, you know, the um, individual development on the, uh, in terms of training, um, getting access to information, organizationally, who's who in the zoo, where do we go, how do we cross-collaborate with the cross-functional teams from the services folks to the marketing folks. And the communication is a really tricky thing because you can come up with all these great uh, concepts in, in, in a crowdsource type of uh, 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 movement, but um, is it well communicated? Do people actually understand what, uh, what, what, what we're doing, what we're trying to accomplish? So, you know, kind of a long, longer story on, on, that, on that ask is that uh, we, we use those concepts almost uh, daily, weekly in, uh, in how we try to go to market. Yeah. And, and that, again, is another example of meritocracy where it's like the, there are people that stepped up to volunteer for each of those roles as part of the house. Yep. Yeah. And I think, you know, when I think about it, too, uh, what we're trying to really build is uh, 
you know, I, I think I, when I when I did a little word cloud on some of the major concepts that Jim was putting together inside the open organization, I came up with words like empowerment, uh, trust, context. Uh, but trust is a really important one because um, uh, when people feel like they have an, an ability to make change and actually mm -hmm. impact change, uh, you you uh, you drive a lot of trust in the organization. It's really about the why when decisions mm -hmm. are made. Uh, everyone that wanted to participate, not that everyone does participate, and it's it's there for you to jump in if you're passionate about it. If you're not, you won't. But the folks that are, and when decisions are made, they kind of get it. Okay, this is mm -hmm. where we were. This is where we're headed. This is a this is a uh, the the information that we took in from a lot of different people, and some of it uh, some of it worked, some of it didn't, and here's where we went. So you know even even though not all decisions are popular, um, most of them are well understood by uh, folks that were at least engaged uh, to uh, and invited. Always the invitations open, kind of the open door uh, philosophy, but uh, open to uh, come in and uh, you know state your views. I, well, I was going to say too that what, part of that um, uh, part of that encouraging folks to participate from the outside. Um, one thing that you do, uh, I know really well, Paul, and and I think is worth mentioning because I think it's an important part of the strategy here is um, recognizing when people have volunteered or recognizing when people have stepped forward. Um, so it's not just uh, encouraging people to sign up for kind of extracurricular work. Uh, it's also uh, you know, uh, going out of your way to thank them and kind of hold them up as they're as they're doing that work, right? So as you just did with uh, with Joel Jackson, right? You say, like, listen, this wasn't my idea. It wasn't even you know eight people's idea. It was you know Joel had this idea of creating this emerging technology group, and uh, he started socializing it. Convinced you, Paul, uh, convinced everyone else in the organization it was a good idea. Um, and now you're on a you know now you're on the DNG show, uh, kind of <laughs> recognizing it for that work, right? And like that's a that dynamic is actually really important and actually sets the tone for. I think, the culture of the group, right, where um, it becomes easy, natural, and expected uh, to recognize people's uh, accomplishments. Um, I think that's a that's a really important point um, that wasn't necessarily emphasized very much in the uh, in the book, um, but I think it's some, certainly something you brought to the uh, brought to the culture. Yeah, I, thanks for that. I, you know, the the thing is, is that um, I, I'd often uh, comment on um, um, leadership and. Um, I really buy into the fact that um, uh, it's it's not it's 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 really about what you do, and we've had a lot of great examples around here of that. Uh, folks, uh, I, I used to say that um, how do you define a leader? Not by title, but by the followers that they have, which is kind of intuitive. Uh, I recently reread Tom Peters' uh, take on that, and his was actually um, you know a version 2.0 of that, which is a little bit more. Um, thought out, which is actually leaders uh, and this organization uh, from uh, starting uh, with Jim all the way throughout kind of exemplify this. Leaders actually create leaders. Uh, leaders don't really, uh, leaders do have followers. That's, that's, uh, that's kind of common sense, but leaders actually create leaders. And uh, this organization uh, throughout uh, globally actually has let people step up into leadership roles. And frankly, that's the only way things can get done. There's no one person that can be expert on everything that needs to happen. So that humility, no matter what you do, is uh, you know, uh, in, in, in taking in other people's build, uh, opinions and help uh, letting them uh, help you build context is is a big part of uh, how an open organization really uh, uh, flourishes. Yeah. So an, another thing that you know, uh, in order to to help make the decision process, one of the things is uh, feedback. 
And uh, one of the things that I thought was counterintuitive a little bit or uncomfortable when I was reading the book was uh, Jim was saying that feedback is a gift, um, you know, whether it's good feedback or negative feedback and everything. And, and I know at Red Hat, there's no shortage of gift giving um, when it comes to <laughs> feedback. And, and so um, and, and I think that ties into what you were saying, Paul, as far as the, you know, uh, you're not get, if you have a lot of tiles on your floor in your office, the likelihood of you getting honest feedback is probably lessened because people are intimidated by you know voicing their opinion or fearing that there are consequences, and so they, they may not be as as forthright. So how, so what are ways that that you make yourself more approachable uh, to the folks on your team? A, cu a couple of things. I think um, first of all, uh, you have to develop thick skin. <laughs> like someone's. Uh, Someone, I, I think we, we operate under a concept of noble intent, which is uh, people come to the world looking at it through their portal and their spaceship, so to speak, metaphorically. And uh, most folks that we have here really have intentions to do good. So just because someone has a different opinion than you may have, you have to understand that because of diversity that we really try to push in our organization is that people come from different backgrounds. Um, and upbringings, uh, uh, both ethnically and whatever, gender, whatever, and they're and they're going to have uh, opinions that may be similar, but uh, you know, uh, or maybe incredibly dissimilar from yours. So the thick skin is is just to understand that that's coming, and uh, that's not a bad thing. That's actually a good thing if you can just get through that. The other thing is uh, for anybody that's in any type of uh, management or leadership position, I love uh, the concept of uh, management by walking around. Um, it's, it's a little bit of an engagement uh, uh, ploy that uh, most uh, uh, folks use. I've stolen it from a lot of uh, uh, st strong uh, leaders uh, way before my time. But just getting out of the office, if you're in the office, and just making sure you're making touch points with everybody and asking them what's going on in your day, what's going on in your life, what's... Uh, what's really cool, what's really, uh, what's really frustrating, but just having those types of conversations and then keeping the door open. The other thing, of course, uh, is just to stay highly engaged. Um, you know, for those of us in sales, it's about making sales calls. Uh, nothing happens in the office. We always like to say that you can't shoot the moose from the lodge. And uh, customer opinions are as important as, you know, that management by walking around at the customer level is important all the way up and down the line. And I think if you take a look at uh, Folks like uh, uh, Jim and uh, and Charlie Peters, who's our recently uh, uh, retired CFO, they spent a lot of time uh, in front of customers listening, and um, that uh, that that is incredibly important for us. So it's just it, you know, approachability is uh, it could it can be a word or it can be an action, and uh, the action is is that you know you just gotta you just gotta be out there, you just gotta be visible, highly visible all the time, uh, and that's not just uh, uh, asking people, you know, where they are on certain business objectives, but uh, finding out where you can help and where you can help uh, make things happen a little bit faster. So, so Paul, um, you know, we, we've been talking mostly about kind of the Red Hat culture and the Red Hat organization. Um, and you were talking about, you know, these rigid hierarchies like Delta, like your old boss um, with the uh, wood panels, whatever, and, a, and a, seriously, a bathroom in the office? Those are the good old days. <laughs> that's, that's gross, right? That's gross. Let's be, yeah. let's be real. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, 
Yeah. Ew. Like, can you imagine like going in for a, like a review session and, you know, the boss walks out of his own bathroom. I mean, that's just like, that's nasty. <laughs> um, I'll be right with you. You, yeah. <laughs> you just want to make sure he washes hands. Yeah. Um, so I'm wondering if, you know, we work with government agencies all day um, and, you, and you know how uh, the culture is on, on the government side and really couldn't be more opposite than what we have inside of Red Hat. Um, if you were to, if you were to take a, a leadership role in an agency tomorrow, um, what lessons could you bring over f from what you learned at Red Hat? What, what could you apply n inside a government agency, knowing how rigid and uh, kind of locked in place that culture is? It's a very difficult. Um, it's a very difficult thing for a career bureaucrat to actually have to go through that type of change. Um, mm -hmm. We're seeing a lot of companies trying to adopt it. We've just been fortunate; it was part of our original DNA. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, you know, even McChrystal talks about it in his book, you know, some, I mean, nothing was more hierarchical than the command and control. You can tell exactly who's who just by their shoulder board mm -hmm. and you're slapping one off and, you know, and, and saying, I, I, or, or whatever. Um, I think some of the lessons we've learned from, uh, some conversations we've had with folks uh, from the blue angels when they came in and they talk about, uh, post-mission debriefs. The first thing they do when they go into the into the uh, debriefing room is they take off all rank insignia and they have honest conversation about who screwed something up. And mm -hmm. uh, at the end of it, you know, because when they screw something up, it's life threatening. Someone if someone misses their their uh, their uh, their their role on the team. Uh, it can endanger uh, the lives of uh, everyone else on the team. So they, they get into honest um, conversation debate about how they can improve. And of course, one of the taglines that we've um, we've kind of glommed onto uh, from that is after they uh, have a conversation about what needed to be changed, they would always end the uh, always end the sentence with uh, "glad to be here." Mm -hmm. In other words, you know, so thanks for taking that in, thanks for letting me share, uh, and uh, glad to be here. Now, for them, glad to be here uh, kind of had two meanings. They were absolutely passionate about their job and their mission. But they were glad that that uh, that minor little mistake didn't uh, uh, take them to Davy Davy Jones' uh, locker. So, uh, but the metaphor was really really strong. And I think for uh, for government, uh, our government customers that uh, have operated uh, for many many years in these type of waterfall type of acquisition type of processes, moving to um, you know a leaner model uh, happens in acquisition as well. We're seeing that uh, we're seeing some changes happening right now. So some of it is just bringing in different types of people. The GSA has brought in a whole uh, cadre of folks uh, uh, in, in an agency within the General Services Administration known as 18F. Mm -hmm. And the, the benefit of this new blood that's coming in is that uh, they don't know how to do it the old way. They only know how to go out there and they're all about open source and they're all about agile and being lean and uh, fail, uh, uh, fail fast and, uh, and continuous integration and continuous delivery types of methodologies. Mm -hmm. So like Jim's epiphany when he came here, um, it was uh, maybe this Red Hat open source organization actually retraining Jim or Jim just uh, awakening or having this epiphany. I think some of the new blood coming into government, as an example, with the 18Fs will actually start to have some changes uh, with those folks, too. But it's 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 a cultural it's a huge cultural change. And it's about, you know, um, the things that we've been talking about uh, uh, during this conversation, which has to do with just uh, letting go, empowering the teams to, uh, to to go out, small teams go out and iterate, and uh, and and try some uh, try some things on a, a smaller scale. 
Yeah. Yeah. I, I like, I, I like that idea very much of the, uh, the blameless retrospective. Um, I mean, that's a, uh, that's very popular, you know, for the cool kids, like the 18 F folks and the agile, you know, having blameless retrospectives on, on product releases is really important. Um, and, uh, the fact that the blue angels do it just says that, uh, you know, doing blameless retrospectives is something that can be done regardless of what kind of organization you, you have, um, and is a really important part of closing that feedback loop, right? If you're not, taking a look back and seeing how you've done, if you're not thinking critically about how you're doing your job, um, you're never done, uh, no matter what uh, organizational system you're working under, right? So I think that makes that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. Yep. Yeah, so Paul, to just to bring uh, land the plane here, um, let's let's just do uh, one more question here that I have. So if, so uh, Gunnar and I are recording with uh, Jim on Thursday, 100. Um, what would you have us ask? Ask Jim? Yeah. Yeah. What would we ask Jim? So I'll tell you what. One uh, An active uh, uh, Twitter handle that I follow is the, uh, the Open Org uh, book. Um, and what's been interesting about that is all the conversations that's coming out of that from a lot of different folks, uh, classic management gurus, uh, to people running small companies, to people running very large enterprises. Um, and Jim's actually put himself in a position of being the, the, uh, the, uh, you know, uh, the expert in terms of, uh, how this kind of works, uh, within industry right now. So he's, 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 he's got a, he's got a pulpit right now that he gets to stand on. So that's kind of cool. But I was just thinking about, uh, you know, the open organization kind of reviewing some notes. I had read the book about two months ago and, and kind of reread uh, pieces of it this weekend. But um, I'd be curious in a tweet you know, uh, to ask Jim, how do you apply the concepts of the open organization to your family life? Nice. <laughs> right? So, um, you know, you are, I mean, you're pretty much the same person you are at work as you are mm -hmm. at home. So, you know, if you've got kids or uh, whatever ages they are, um, uh, actually letting them get involved in some of the decision-making processes that impact the family from, you know, vacations to, uh, you know, uh, maybe, you know, where are you going to live or what schools you're going to go to and actually mm -hmm. have them participate. I'd be just curious as to how he actually takes the practices that he spent so much time um, actually put it, pulling together and takes it home. Yeah. So yeah. That, might be, that might be a tweet for him. That's great. Nice. That's great. Well, I think it would be easier, you know, because I think you come to the family life with, uh, I know I certainly come to the family life with a lot more humility than I do. <laughs> so it might, might actually make that process easier, right? Uh, that's great. What a great question. Okay. Yeah. And I don't know if Mark Twain actually had it right because uh, I think my kids are, you know, every year they get smarter than I do. So I'm not <laughs> sure if that told uh, axioms works anymore in the modern world. So I'm, I'm trying to learn from them as much as, uh, you know, uh, they try to uh, learn from me as well, but that's awesome. It's so Paul, <laughs> thanks so much for, uh, <laughs> Paul, thanks so much for spending time with us. Um, it was really great to talk to you about the open organization. Um, thanks to everyone in the, uh, in the, uh, the live uh, studio audience. Uh, thanks for staying there and thanks for staying on mute. I appreciate that. Um, Paul, if, uh, if folks want links to uh, co a copy of the open organization um, and uh, maybe a link to your bio uh, and, and some of the other things that we've talked about on the show today, uh, what website should they go to? Hmm. That would be the dgshow.org. Excellent. Website. Excellent. Full marks. Full marks, Paul. Thanks. 
All right. Well, thanks, Paul, for, for joining us. And again, thanks, everybody, for uh, being in the live studio audience. This worked out much better than I expected. Uh, <laughs> so that, that was pretty awesome. And uh, uh, thanks for joining. And thank you, uh, Dave and Gunnar. I think you guys are doing uh, great work, uh, both uh, for the internal organization to actually have a better. We have a lot of folks that have recently joined the organization, really get a feel for who we are. And also, I think it has impact uh, with everyone that we work with uh, in a daily organization and industry uh, to uh, to get a better feeling for how we can mutually uh, benefit each uh, each of our missions. Because um, doing doing anything without having it uh, benefit the, the our government customer or our, our global customers uh, as well as ourselves is is uh, is is is, is uh, kind of like Tom Sawyer going out and try and get folks to come paint the fence. It happens once, but unless there's some mutual benefit there for the uh, for the long haul, uh, it really won't be sustaining. So I appreciate everything you guys do to get that messaging out. It's uh, It's been a lot of fun working with you. I'm looking forward to uh, more good times in the, in the future and more beer talks. Um, yeah. Is it Noah time yet? <laughs> <laughs>